Finding hope in your past. Progress. Far from consisting in change depends on retentiveness. Those who can't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And that's a quote by a name named George Santayana. It's a well-known quote, and it's a very important one for us. Here are some quotes like it. Remembering the past gives power to the present. Another one says, To remember the past is to see uh, that we are here today by grace, not that we have survived, oh, excuse me, that we have survived as a gift. Often quotes like these are meant to stir one to study history for the purpose of politics. But what about our Christian history? What about our personal past? In our text today, we will see that it is vitally important for us to remember our past and what Christ has done for us if we are in him. So read with me Colossians 2, 11 to 15. Grab your Bibles and go to Colossians 2, 11 to 15. Colossians 2, 11 to 15 says, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, I want to make one thing abundantly clear, and that is if you are not a believer in Christ listening to this, then you can't find much hope in your past. Uh, you can find infinite hope in your future in Christ by bowing your knee to Him and seeking forgiveness from your sins. Um, but if you are a believer in Christ, is where is the only way you can find true hope in your past, and we'll talk about that. But if you think back with me to when we talked about Colossians 2, 1 through 5, you will remember that Paul was fighting for the Colossians. And as you remember, he was fighting against the heresy that wanted to add things to an already complete gospel, an already complete Christ. After that, in Colossians 2, 6 through 10, we saw that Paul switched to giving them reasons why he uh, why they should not give in to the heresy that was looming around them. He did so by reminding them of who Christ is, what he did, and what the present implications are for them. Paul reminded them that they are complete in Christ. They had no need of anything else. And so remember that also that the core of this heresy was uh, that Christ was not enough. 
that you were not complete unless you did something extra and you were not complete unless you or unless you refrained from doing something else or you were not complete unless you had some kind of some kind of special knowledge and this is why Paul ended his previous point with telling the Colossians that they are that they are complete in Christ Christ is complete they therefore they are complete in him they didn't need to do anything else or to be more complete than they already were no new knowledge no new rules no new extra regulations nothing could make them more right before god than they already were and it's the same for us today if you are in christ nothing can make you more right before god than you are right now so now in colossians 2 11 through 15 we will see that state of completeness how that state of completeness came about. Paul talked about our present state if we are in Christ, and now he's going to talk about the past circumstances that brought that present state about. So in our text today, Paul will show us four gifts that Christ gave us to make us complete in him so that we will be drawn to thankfulness and be pushed to live our lives for him and to resist the heresies around us. So the first of those four gifts is that he gave us a new heart, verse 11. Then he gave us a new life, verses 12 through the first part of 13. He gave us forgiveness from 13 to 14. And finally, he gave us victory in him verse 15. So let's look at the first gift that Christ gave us to make us complete in Him. Now at the outset, I want to make one thing very clear. That this is comforting. Remembering your past is comforting if you are in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ. If not, then your past cannot be really described as something very comforting, uh, especially when you have sort of an ugly past. But when we think about the past of a, of a believer, as we we're going to talk about today, we can be very comforted by that. Um, so if you think back with me when we to when we talked about Colossians 2, 1 through 5, a few episodes ago, you will remember that Paul was fighting for the Colossians. And as you remember, he was fighting against the heresy that wanted to add things to an already complete gospel, an already complete Christ. After that, Colossians 2, 6 through 10, we saw that Paul switched to having to giving them reasons, um, giving them reasons why they should not give in to the heresy that was looming around them. And he did so by reminding them of who Christ is, what he did, and what the present implications are for them. Paul reminded them that they are complete in Christ. They had no need of anything else. And so remember that the core of that heresy also, uh, was that Christ, the core of that heresy was that Christ was not enough. That you were not complete unless you did something extra. Or you were not complete unless you refrained from doing something. Or that you were not complete unless you had some sort of special mystical knowledge. This is why Paul ended his previous point 
by telling the Colossians that they are complete in Christ. Uh, because Christ is complete, they are complete in Him. And it's the same for us. If you are in Christ, you are complete. They didn't need anything else to be more complete than they already were. No new knowledge, no rules, no extra regulations. Nothing could make them more right before God than they already were. So now, in Colossians 2, 11 through 15, we're going to see how that state of completeness came about. Paul talked about our present state if we are in Christ, but now he's going to talk about the circumstances that brought that present state about. In our text today, Paul is going to show us four gifts that Christ gave to us to make us complete in him. They are that he gave us a new heart in verse 11. He gave us a new life in 2, 11 through 13, the first part. And he gave us forgiveness in 2, 13 to 14. And finally, he gave us victory in him. 2.15. And we're going to look at each one of these things in turn. So let's look at the first gift Christ gave to us to make us complete in him. In verse 11, he gave us a new heart. He gave us a new heart. Verse 11 says this, And in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision circumcision of Christ. What's going on here? The also here connects it to the previous verse. And so the same person who made you complete is the one who gave you this circumcision. Remember this Colossian heresy. One of the tenets of this heresy was that they needed to adhere to extra rules to be right before God. And one of those extra rules was probably circumcision. So what is the circumcision Paul is talking about here? Notice that the circumcision occurred in him. That is, in the realm of him, of Christ, connected to him. Uh, and this is obviously, we can see from verses 8 through 10, that this is Christ being referred to here. So when you were originally united to Christ... When you were first saved, you received the circumcision. Notice that also that this circumcision was made without hands. This means that it is not a physical circumcision. It's not something that they needed to do outwardly. It was a spiritual circumcision. When we see this kind of uh, this kind of language in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, God promises this. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Paul is talking about a circumcision like this. And in fact, Paul makes this point clear in other places. Romans 2, 28-29 says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. What, is, what Paul is saying here is that the outward sign of circumcision was meant to show an inward reality. 
That's what Paul is talking about when he talks about the removal of the body of the flesh. He's not talking about removing the physical body. He's talking about the removing of the old, dead, evil heart from you. In the circumcision of Christ, um, which he means, which he, what he's saying here is that what, what this is the circumcision that Christ performed on you through his saving work. You have been given a new heart. There's something familiar to soldiers in the military called stolen valor. Stolen valor is when someone who is not in the military puts on a military uniform and pretends to be someone who he is not. Uh, there are videos all over the internet of people who wear the uniform. Usually they don't wear it correctly and they're out in public in order to get either attention or to try to get discounts at stores. Soldiers can be very offended when this happens because they feel that wearing the uniform is something that must be earned, is a privilege. And so if somebody does it without earning it, they, they feel uh, wronged by that. And so when someone puts on the uniform to deceive others into giving them unearned respect or discounts, they are saying that they are something outwardly when it is not true inwardly. Uh, and that's, that's true about a lot of different things, right? When an, a hypocrite um, is acting, then that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to say something is true about them when it's not really true. In fact, that word hypocrite comes from a, a, an old Greek word uh, that has to do with play acting. So when somebody puts on a mask, when somebody wants to act as if he is something when he's not, uh, that is that is what um, a hypocrite does. So you may try to adhere to certain Christian things on the outside while ignoring the inside. So make sure that you have been giving a new heart first nothing else matters if you haven't been first changed by god if you have been giving a new circumcised heart then rejoice you have been made new and now you can love god and obey him that is wonderful news and so that's the first gift that god has given you um, that made you complete in christ a new heart so next, look with me at the second gift that God has given you to make you complete in Him. The second gift Christ gave us is He gave us a new life. Verses 12 to 13a, the first part of 13. Uh, these verses read this. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were also raised up with Him, through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your, of your flesh. Now, what does it mean that you were buried with him in baptism? As we all know, baptism, like circumcision, is a sign of an outward reality, of, excuse me, an inward reality. Just like circumcision of the heart gives you a new living heart, 
so baptism demonstrates that you have been buried with Christ. You have died with Christ. Paul expounds this point later in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Why? Verse 3 says, For because you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The old man has died. You died to your old way of life. You were then buried with Christ, and through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, you were raised again with him. Ephesians 2, 1-6 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. You were dead, but God raised you. This is exactly what Paul says in verse 13. Dead in your transgression and this uncircumcision of your flesh means that you were once totally morally depraved. If spiritual circumcision is giving you a new heart and freeing you from your sin nature, then being dead in the uncircumcision of your heart means that you are still a slave to your sin nature. It means that all your thoughts of your heart were only evil continually. All you wanted to do was to please yourself. Evil, uh, even the good things you did were stained with the self-righteous sin. While you were waiting in like a rotting dead body in a toxic cesspool of your own depravity, at that moment, when you deserved it the least, he made you alive together with him. What an amazing reality. And remember, if you are not in Christ, then you are still dead in your transgressions and sins, and you must repent. Call out to God that he might change your heart to save you and make you a new creation, to raise your dead body, your dead man, to life. Uh, I have a good friend who's who's friends with the Navy SEAL, and I was talking with him one day, and he was telling me about what his, his friend uh, would do a lot. He was older and had a lot of wisdom to share, and because he was a Navy SEAL, people would listen. They respected him. My friend told me that uh, after every single encounter with his friend, he gave him a, a, sh- a good solid handshake and gave him the same piece of advice. He would say, remember, Dan, remember that you're the lucky one concerning his marriage to his wife. Uh, it's easy in marriage to start to think that you're, the, you're a gift to your wife or wives, that you're a gift to your husband. You're the best thing that ever happened to them. But in reality, isn't often the opposite true? That mindset will keep you humble and it will dictate 
how you treat them and how you act around them, the decisions that you make. This is a, a goofy example or a goofy illustration, but one might wonder why Paul keeps bringing this up so often in his letters to the churches, their, their past depravity and their, their deadness and their sin. Shouldn't he be encouraging believers instead of reminding them how terrible they were before they knew Christ? And the reason he does this is because we need to be reminded so often, not only of what Christ did, but why it desperately needed to happen. Remember the desperation in which you once lived, and remember what Christ did for you. This will keep you humble. This will uh, form that attitude that you need to cultivate, not one of pride, but one of humility. And not only did he give you a new heart and make you alive, he also forgave you. And this is the next gift that we will talk about. The third gift is that he gave us forgiveness. This is the second part of verse 13 on to 14, which reads this. He made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees which against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. If he had simply made you spiritually alive and given you a new heart, you would still be guilty of, tre of a tremendous sin debt uh, that you spent a lifetime accumulating. But when he made you alive, he also forgave all the transgressions. Your Bible might say all, forgiven all our transgression, but in the original language, it's is literally forgiven all the transgressions. This might seem like to be sp splitting hairs, but I think it's important to point out. I think the article is pointing back to an earlier mention of our transgressions. Not only did he forgive us all our transgressions, but he forgave those transgressions that you had when you were dead and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Those transgressions. Living in the way that way was like racking up an insane amount of debt on a credit card. Paul is describing the situation as a certificate of debt consisting of decrees which were against us, hostile to us. It was, it, it was as though someone was writing down every single one of your sins in a record and was waiting to use it against you in a court. And in fact, that's exactly what was happening. In Revelation 20, 11-15, we see this. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
When you didn't know Christ as your Savior, everything you did that broke God's law was written down in a book. And at the end of time, when Jesus comes back, everyone who is not a believer in Christ will stand before that great white throne. Those books will be opened, and whether everything will be read aloud for everyone to hear line by line, or if it's just going to be a, an awareness, we don't really know, but at, you will the stand before God, and all of these books around you will be held in, in, uh, as evidence against you before an almighty, holy, righteous God, and you will have no excuse. It will be obvious to everyone, including yourself, what your just punishment should be. If you trust in your own deeds, you will be cast into the lake of fire. But if you trust in the, the finished work and the deeds of Jesus Christ for, for your salvation alone, then your name is written in the book of life and you will not be judged according to your own deeds. You will not be cast into the lake of fire. So make sure today that you know Christ as your personal Savior. Make sure today that you are not trusting in your own deeds, in your own works to save you, but that you are trusting in the finished work of Christ. There are so many today who trust in their own deeds. Even so many that claim Christianity will describe their faith in terms of the good things that they do. They might say that, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go, I go to church. Or they'll say, well, I don't do anything really that bad. But they have a debt. In my hometown, there's not a whole lot to do. I grew up in a farming community, and one way that kids would find entertainment was to burn hay bales. Obviously very illegal. There's one story of a kid who burned some hay bales, but the fire spread uncontrollably and burned way more hay bales than he had intended. When the fire was finally put out, he had burned well over a million dollars worth of hay, and so he would literally be in debt for the rest of his life paying off that crippling debt. High school kid. Each of us has a far more crippling debt before a holy, righteous, and just God when we sin. We had books upon books of our transgressions written down as evidence against us. But when Christ took that record of our debt, he took it out of the way. Literally, he took it out of our midst. He took that record of debt and paid it, having nailed it to the cross. Don't think of papers with your sins written on them nailed to a bare cross here. That's not the picture. The picture is of those long, sharp nail, nailed pierce, nails pierced through those debts against you and straight through Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. Because that is the only just payment for your debts. Because he did that, you have been forgiven. You don't need to pay a single penny. It's like the kid who burned all the hay bales was suddenly forgiven his massive debt. You will not stand before God at the great white throne someday because you have been judged. You will not be judged according to your deeds. You will be judged according to the perfect deeds of Jesus Christ because he paid your debt.
Rejoice, <laughs> rejoice in that wonderful truth. You are complete because he gave you a circumcised heart. You are complete because he gave you a new life in him. You are complete because he gave you forgiveness of your sin debt. Now we will see the final gift that Christ gave you, gave you that makes you complete in him. The final gift that we will look at is that he gave us victory in him. That's in verse 15, which says this. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. The word disarmed here can also be translated stripped. When Paul talks about rulers and authorities like this, he is always talking about evil spiritual powers, Satan and his demons. He disarmed them. And then he made a public display of them and triumphed over them. The picture is this. When Christ was crucified, he was stripped, humiliated, and was made on public display. But the great reversal is this. When he did that, Satan thought he had won. But he stripped Satan. He made Satan the public display. And instead of Satan having triumph, God triumphed over Satan through the perfect obedience of his son, Jesus Christ. And because Christ was victorious in his death, we too are victorious when we are in Christ. This life is so hard, but someday Christ will return and make all things right. We will rule with him on that day, victorious over all of our enemies and all the evil forces of this world because of his might and power. Just like a movie with a surprise twist ending, Christ defeated Satan in an unexpected way. Remember in Genesis 3.15, God promised to crush Satan's head. In the process, the seed of the woman would have a bruised heel. When Christ paid your debt on the cross, Satan was fatally wounded. Christ suffered as well, but when he rose again, he proved that it was only his heel that was bruised. He is victorious, and so are we. We are complete in Christ. We have been given a new circumcised heart. We have been given a new life. We have been given forgiveness and all our canceled debt. We have been given victory through the one who crushed the serpent's head. If we forget these things, how easy would it be to forget as well that we are complete? And if we forget that, how easy would it be for us to fall for any trick that comes, comes our way? Remember who you were. Remember what Christ did for you. And remember who you are now, that you are complete in him. This concludes the episode, and I want to thank you again for listening. Um, really quick, I want to make it uh, clear that there's a website that corresponds to this podcast. It's a WordPress website, 
and it's fixingyourhope.wordpress.com. And on there you can find all the episodes to this podcast as well as uh, resources that might help. There's one explaining the gospel as, as, as well as a few other external links. So I encourage you to go look at that if you have stumbled across this podcast and want to know more. There's also contact information on there in case you want to email me, ask any questions. Thank you for listening, and I want to encourage you to find your hope, to fix your hope in Christ alone.